Hey, it's Angelica from A Little Bit of Everything With Me podcast, and you're listening to Screaming Chewy Show. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review the podcast. And of course, enjoy the show. You know, I feel thankful, but what excites me the most is just uh, talking and, and looking and doing things with, with new ideas and people that I've never met before like you. I mean, this is, this is what life's all about. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And it starts now. everyone welcome back to another exciting episode of screaming true show here and we got special guests here he's had quite a few big breaks here terry rich hey terry how's it going man i'm i'm doing all right it's a gorgeous day in the great state of iowa now how the heck uh, can uh, iowa be uh, a fun place if someone asked you see the beautiful behind us we've got bike trails all over the place which everybody loves and it uh, right now has the most organic oxygen of any place because of all the plants that are growing up uh, around us, uh, the corn and the beans. But yeah, it's, it's pretty quiet and that's all right in the COVID-19 uh, space to uh, be able to have some space when it's all said and done. Some peace and quiet. But always fun to meet new folks and say hi. So I'm, I'm glad to uh, glad to be on with you. I, I've had some fun. I've had two big breaks in life. You and I were talking a little earlier about you know, how do people get to, get to uh, different kinds of success. My first break was being on Johnny Carson, and the second break was solving the largest lottery fraud in U.S. history. And I got to give away a billion dollars in the process. So we're uh, we'll talk. We can talk a little about that uh, and go back wow. to that. But whenever I'm talking to to, to uh, folks who are saying, you know, we like, you know, I like hearing about success, but haven't you ever screwed up? Uh, I always like to go back to the first two times I had big failures early in my life. The first was in high school. Things were going well. I, doing, having a great time in life, but I decided to do a little uh, fun during the senior class band picture, and I flipped the bird on my knee, and it was wearing black uniforms, and lo and behold, I got caught, and of course, uh, they wanted to try to kick me out of everything, all of the different organizations I was in, of course, I got grounded, uh, but my band teacher, jazz uh, instructor, said to me, he said, hey, listen, he said, we all screw up, and if you just take the lumps, uh, and, and admit you did it and just take your punishment, uh, you'll be a bigger person for it. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, the, the second big, uh, uh, the first failure in, in business was when I first started in cable television. I came out of college and started writing cable television before cable was cool. So I got to help start MTV and CNN, Whoa. all of these different uh, channels uh, with our cable company. And uh, I was on TV a little bit, and I noticed I didn't have a five o'clock shadow. I thought, you know what? I'm going to write Schick and tell them how much I love their track two razor. So I sat down in the old days. We had these things called typewriters and sent a letter to Schick knowing that in two weeks, I'd be called to go to New York to do a, do a TV commercial. And uh, I sent it off and uh, waited and waited. And as I waited, I started thinking about, kind of like you might if you're playing Powerball or Mega Millions, what would it be like to win the jackpot? Well, the jackpot for me at that time was getting a Nash, being on national television somehow or another. And nice. lo and behold, two weeks to the day, Chewy, two weeks to the day, I got a letter. Here's what it said. Dear Mr. Rich, expressing your complete satisfaction with your track two razor. We're glad that you sent us the letter, but you wrote the wrong company. Gillette makes that uh, razor. <laughs> and so I had failed. But you know what? By, by that failure, I had some excitement about what it'd be like to be on national television. And ultimately, I got to be uh, on all networks, uh, both broadcast and cable networks in various capacities over the years. So, uh, yeah, we all fail here and there, but it's what we do afterwards to learn by. It's got to move forward, right? Just learn from it and keep going, right? Absolutely. And cable television was fun. You know, being in on the early days, we had... We had all of the stars and the programming, and 
I really got to work with a lot of people from HBO and ESPN, which was was really kind of a kind of a trip. I got to go to many of the MTV Music Awards. Oh my God, that's pretty amazing. crazy seeing Al Yankovic and uh, a couple of uh, the other uh, artists over in the corner smoking something that I smelled familiar. And <laughs> it was, it was Devil's pretty, lettuce. Pretty crazy times. Pretty crazy times. But the big break came, and again, I kind of failed in the process, was uh, about halfway through my cable television career, they had me in charge of systems, building systems, building them out, you know, getting wires on the poles, all that sort of thing. And I got a call from my hometown. It's a little dinky town, Cooper, Iowa. I was just a farm kid, and I was, actually, we were pretty poor in our day, and, you know, got through college all right. But uh, they said, you know what, we're going to have a centennial. We don't know whether we're 100 years, but screw it, we're going to have a centennial anyway, and would you help us with publicity? So I went over and met with this farmer and we were talking about Cooper, Iowa, population 50 of what we could do to get some publicity to bring people out for the centennial. He said, you know what? You're our most famous person because I've done some radio and television. I thought, geez, if I'm our most famous, let's adopt somebody. You're the so man. <laughs> we sat down and we thought about what could we give a celebrity to be just for one day, say that they were from the little Cooper, Iowa. And we decided to give away uh, free oil and lube, because only that's all we had was a garage there. A free cemetery plot. Uh, we're going to name the, the street after it. But then we got some questions. We could kind of screen uh, screen the celebrities out. Like, have you ever chewed tobacco? Own a pair of bib overalls. That sounds like Iowa. You know the difference between an apple pie and a cow pie? Uh, questions like that. So I wrote it up in a press release and sent it off. And thinking, yeah, maybe the local newspaper would at least call us. But I printed too many of them, I had 43. So I went ahead and went to the library and just had to go to an adjacent town. We didn't have a library in Cooper. Printed out 44 different, like the New York Times and all these different TV. The next day I get a call from UPI and they said, United Press International, we like it. We're going to throw it on the national wires. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. By the time I had hung up, 30 minutes later, I get a call and say, hey, is this Terry Rich? I said, yeah. I said, my name is Jim McCauley. I'm a talent coordinator for Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Come on. Yeah, somebody's, somebody's yanking my chain here. Oh, my God. I said, what's going on? He said, hey, we want to do something with this. We're going to have a, a staff meeting, but you got to promise me that you don't go with anybody else because all the reality shows will be wanting this. I'm thinking, yeah, right. So I hang up wondering whether somebody just really pulled a practical joke on me. <laughs> I picked up the phone to call my buddy to tell him, hey, we got a call. And I couldn't get a dial tone. I hear a screaming, hey, hello, hello, is this Terry Ritchie? Yeah. This is Judy McCauley, or Judy Steinberg. I'm with Good Morning America. We have two tickets to New York. We want you there tomorrow. I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I just committed to The Tonight Show. You can't legally do that. She started screaming, threatening lawsuits, all these sort of things. Oh, my God. Well, a long story short, uh, The Tonight Show called back. They talked about broadcasting live via satellite to back to uh, LA and being the first time ever that Johnny would do a remote location and talk to us in Cooper, Iowa to be interviewed to be the 51st citizen. So they came out and they looked and they were getting the satellite, but they couldn't get all the technical deals done. So instead they just brought three of us out and we got to be the first 20 minutes on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. And I didn't realize how big that is, but if you're a comedian and you seem chewy like a comedian to me, that uh, <laughs> the big thing with Johnny Carson was to be able to be on his, they call it panel. And I learned this from Andrew Dice Clay, who's, who in his own right is a heck, of, you know, is a crazy comedian. But if you got to sit on the couch and talk to Johnny on the couch, that absolutely made it. So at 29, when I failed with 44 letters, only one letter got a response. That one letter was a snowball to allow us to adopt Johnny Carson as a 51st citizen. And on that centennial, just, 30 or 40 days after we sent that letter, we had, well, my number was 425,000, but uh, uh, the actual number is about 16,000 people showed up for this huge centennial and parade. And it, wow. it was kind of the, the break for, well, ABC, NBC, CBS came along, Good Morning America, the Today Show. We had all of these networks in, all talking about uh, adopting the 51st citizen. But No then, pressure, uh, huh? <laughs> yeah. And it goes back to the question of failure. I sent 44 letters out and I failed on 43. So if I'd only sent one letter, you know, it would have failed and then I'd be done. So, so many people, I tell this to, to my kids, and anybody that'll listen, you know, failure is just the first step to success. It's maybe, you have any kids, Chewy, that you know about? Oh, uh, no, nope. okay. maybe in Mexico, but I'm not sure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> when you have kids, when they begin to walk, my granddaughter came over and she pulled herself up on the couch and took her first step. And what happened? Boom, she fell over. So, you know, you fail. Well, what'd she do? She crawled back up and tried it again. She did two steps and then failed. And most of us, when we have a project or we think we got that million, everybody's got a million dollar idea in their head. When you try it and it fails the first time, you just give up. And uh, I think that's the, the key to a lot of success in that you, you got to pick up, you got to learn by it and, and move on. So yeah, I've had a lot of failures in life, but it's, it's really been a lot of fun. Very wise words, man. And uh, you're 100% right. Uh, many people, as soon as they fail, right away they get discouraged. And, um... and, and then, you, then you get into the corporate world. Well, I was in the corporate world with a cable and, and you know, uh, corporate mergers happened. Somebody took a run at the stock. We were New York Stock Exchange Company and they cashed us out and they took over the company and and that was a good deal for me i was in a level and had tried to accumulate stock over 20 years for retirement and boom all of a sudden i've got all my life goals my dad said you know happiness happens when you retire at 62 and you get social security and i realized happiness wasn't that it was doing the deals and having fun and being a part of a real entrepreneurial company like like that was so uh because of the satellite uplink idea, when the company ended, I had to find something to do at 40. And I, I thought I maybe I retired, but then I realized, man, you got to live a lot of years and spend a lot of money. It ain't going to work. <laughs> so I started my own company doing, we were doing from the idea of the satellite, we started going to back to the cable company and we would do a satellite uplink. I didn't realize you could just do a satellite uplink from anywhere in the U.S. at that point. So we would take HBO, we'd bring it down, we'd send it back up on a separate satellite uplink down to all of our cable systems, and then we would show movies for free. They'd turn it on their local channel. Hey, Marge, they're showing HBO, you know. Oh, man, we turn it on, we're getting free movies. Somebody's messing around with the box outside. And uh, when, we, when we did that, they, uh, uh, at the end of the movie, we'd jump on then like this and say, hey, you know, if you like HBO, now's the time to call. And that first weekend that we tried that, because of the idea, even though we failed, we had an idea then from Johnny Carson that they might uplink. We took that uplink idea and, and thought, do it in cable. And we sold over $15 million in net worth for the company in the first weekend by oh putting everybody God. together across the United States. So I started taking that business and did that quite a bit in, uh, in my own company as a production company and did a lot of work for HBO. That, that was kind of fun. But like all of us, do you ever get bored, Chewy, where you just kind of say, I need to try something different? And that's what you're doing here. I mean, you're oh, an entrepreneur yeah. and having your own podcast and things rolling. Well, I decided to start this Rich Heritage, uh, Rich Heritage Inc. and try to come up with some ideas of things different to do. And I thought, you know what? What's the number one show on cable television? World Wrestling Federation. It's crazy. Nice. Yeah, that was huge, you know. So I thought, what could a guy do? What other sport could we do and do that where it's, you know, kind of fake in its own way, uh, full contact? And I thought, you know, the only other sport that everybody in the world loves is soccer. So I created a show called Soccer Slam, S-O-C-K-E-R Slam. And it was indoor soccer on, on an ice rink. We rented a turf, put it on an ice rink. Cool. And then it was full contact. And uh, uh, we played with two balls in the last two minutes. And then I hired a bunch <laughs> of stuntmen to do fights. And then, of course, the coach over here was messing with the lead player of the other team's girlfriend. And we had all these drama <laughs> things going on. So and we insane. got it on Fox Sports World. It was just crazy. But you know what? The soccer enthusiast, sounds like year one, hated it. But the college campuses went nuts. They bought all sorts of merchandise material. So we recut it. And had two uh, two Hispanic comedians uh, do voiceovers, and it played on Galavision, and wow. uh, it was it was absolutely crazy. But you know, I failed in that too, in that it worked all right, but it cost a lot of money to produce four live big shows like that, bring in all the soccer professional soccer players to play and stuntmen and all that. So we got busy, and we're making more money at the HBO, so we didn't produce it long. About uh, two years later, I went into uh, a Best Buy and someone said, wait, you have to see this, this new video game for PlayStation. And it was called Soccer Slam, only S-O-C-C-E-R. But I looked at it, the costumes looked a lot alike, the, the announcers sounded a lot alike ours. So I realized some programmer was drinking at night, late at night, and whatever, smoking, doing whatever. Smoking he saw the show and he liked the idea, so he created this game. 
Luckily, we had the, or the uh, copyright on it. We had a chance that it was made by Sega and Sony. And uh, let's just say it worked out that Sony went ahead and picked up the uh, gaming rights for that, and, and we continue to have the TV rights for it. So again, I failed in that. I didn't make money initially, but ultimately it worked just, just by trying. So that, that was kind of fun. So there, there's a lot, of, a lot of crazy things that you can do in life and, and fail and, and still make it get those crazy ideas and just run with it, right? That's right. But from, from doing the TV, I finally turned 50 and I thought, you know what? I'm 50 years old. Um, well, it, it was midlife crisis, I'm sure. I don't know. I didn't buy the fancy car. I wanted to do something different. I was traveling and making good money, but I was just tired. I wanted to be home with the kids and, you know, do the Iowa life that is just like it is during COVID. It's really peaceful and fun and we can still do family things and stay away from all the crazy stuff. So I had a call from someone. They said, hey, they're going to close the zoo. And I said, well, okay. They said, would you be interested in going in? We're going to make it a nonprofit. Take it, you know, take it from the city. Would you be interested in running the zoo? It's six, $600,000 in debt a year. They're losing a lot of money. Wow. Hell, I never run a zoo before. You know, I, I grew up on a farm. I know how to raise a cow and a pig. But what's the difference between that and a draft? So anyway, I got the opportunity to run the zoo. And... Yeah. It was just absolutely crazy and fun, and every day you went, everybody's smiling. It was just a really unique idea. So, oh, wow. how do you we, even start? Well, you know, when it's run by a city, when it's run by a government organization, it's pretty easy to try to find efficiencies. First and foremost, we uh, we look for ways to bring. We know that when you go to a museum like a zoo, like a arts or whatever, you go once when you're a kid, you go once when you take your kid, and you go once when you take your grandkid. So my goal was to try to get people coming multiple times during the year. And we had all the little kids, you know, if you're a little kid, you're going to go to the zoo. So um, I had to think, how do you get, at that point it was millennials, everybody's trying to get millennials. And what's the one thing that you like and millennials like, Chewy? Booze. I knew you had it on the tip of your tongue there. Oh, Booze. I like the way you think. We started Zoo Brew. We did it at night, so there were absolutely no little kids, so, uh, you know, the the... 18 or the 21 to 35 year olds could come have dates outside isn't a smoky bar we served booze we had bands and we had all the animals out and it turned out to be a huge hit in fact today they do two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a summer just in beer at these zoos as a unique way to bring more money in that's amazing the other thing that we did was uh, you, you've got to have new exhibits. There's always going to be something new. You don't want to go to a museum and see the same artwork or the same his history or the same exhibits. And we thought of what do we have a lot of at the zoo that we could, we could capitalize on? We looked around with that poop. I mean, all the animals are pooping, right? So we, uh, we found an exhibit that was traveling in the U.S. called Scoop on Poop. And it was an exhibit of animal excrement. You could you'd see the picture of the animal, have an animal, then you could show what their poop looks like in case you're out investigating, see something on the ground. Oh, smart. So we brought this exhibit in, Scoop on Poop. It was a huge hit. You heard the kids giggling. Anytime you could say poop, <laughs> you get a kid giggling. Yep. But here's where we made the money, is that we figured out that tigers are predators, and deer in Iowa, there are a lot of deer, white-tailed deer in Iowa, are prey. And if prey smells predator, even though they've never met a tiger in the state of Iowa, they smell tiger poop, they wouldn't get near flowers. So we started selling buckets of tiger poop for 20 bucks and made $25,000 that summer just in selling poop. Oh, that's crazy. That's, that's <laughs> genius, man. What? Only one problem. At the end of the summer, the USDA came in and said, wait a minute, that's illegal to sell exotic uh, tiger poop. In the, I had no idea that was illegal. <laughs> so that's... Uh, you know, we, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with that. The other thing is you get called in when you have a success like that, even though, uh, you know, remember, we had a lot of failures, even with the Carson show. I, you know, I would not be where I'm at today if I hadn't failed 43 of the 44 letters. Uh, no one answered if I hadn't sent 44 and got that one response. But I get calls all the time, and I, here are two crazy ones that were kind of failures but still helped them get along. First one, Botanical Center. Think Zoo, Botanical Center then calls us. You did well here. Would you help us with ideas for the Botanical Center? So we sat down and met with six people, 
And I knew everybody around the table except one. And who that other person was, was the, I found out later, was the editorial writer for the Des Moines Register. You know, not the little pieces they write, but the great big half page. And if you're a public official, oh, the big if your name's in that, yeah. I didn't realize who it was, but just like I'm talking like a madman right now, I started giving them ideas. How about this? How about that? How about that? That was a Friday. Well, Sunday morning, the paper comes out. I'm sitting down to read, and open my eyes says, think big. What would a zoo dude do to help the botanical center? And the first one was grow marijuana plant. Show them what <laughs> yeah. illegal plants and opium plants. Show them what people look like so the kids aren't growing them at home. Um, <laughs> I have get the big world's biggest Venus flytrap big enough to suck down a cow <laughs> and all these crazy ideas I did. And so they didn't use a single one, but they realized if they just tried some crazy things, they might do well. So they went out and brainstormed themselves and have had just a really, really successful botanical center. The one that I really had fun with, and you hear a theme of poop as we talk here, uh, Julie, I'm afraid, <laughs> was a little dinky town called and said, Hey, could you give us some ideas on how to get people. They lived on the interstate. They lived on exit 88 on interstate 80. Now remember exit 88. So we start thinking, what do people want when they're driving down the road? Well, one, you need gas, but every, every exit had a gas station. It seemed like you need food. And again, every exit seemed to have food. What's the one thing, the final thing that everybody needs that you need that bathrooms, a clean bathroom. What if we build a great big building and put in like a hundred different restrooms and put different styles, country, modern, we'll get Kohler or Gerber, the makers of toilets to do them as, and, and Charmin to do uh, tests so they can do market research on what's the softest, you know, as people are coming out. Wow. Then we get You're a smart guy. <laughs> I got pooped out in Menlo or I, I got PO'd in Menlo. Uh, they have outhouses outside for pictures, a place for dogs to go. But here's, here's what was cool. You wouldn't have to spend a dime on marketing because we were going to get a king from somewhere to come in and sit on the throne. Think of that. All the late night talk shows would be talking about it. And we were going to do Burma shave signs, signs along the interstate says, urinate at exit 88 or defecate at exit 88. You remember <laughs> that forever. You wouldn't need to spend a dime on marketing. Well, That's they didn't true. want to be known as the poop capital of the world. So <laughs> it, it was, it but there's a million dollar idea. Hey, I got one more million dollar idea though that if somebody wants to do. I tried this for mega millions and we couldn't figure out how to do it. When you look up tonight at the sky and see the moon, and the moon is either just a little fingernail clip or it's dark, you can't see it at all. What if we get a spotlight or a, a laser beam to be able to project images on the moon? I wanted to do the mega millions jackpot. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, Coca-Cola so that up there you could own the moon as a billboard. No one else has claimed it yet on the dark side of the moon. The whole world would see it. Yeah, the whole world would see it. We could, we could do Screaming Chewy on the moon. That's marketing right there. <laughs> you got it. So let's figure that out. I think I think that's that's a that's a fun million dollar idea. Um the final step in all that, when you get, you know, we had some success at the zoo, is I then got the call from the governor and said, hey, uh, the lottery director is retiring. Would you be interested around the lottery? And I thought, holy smokes, $350 million a year is what they take in on a lottery. You may not realize that in the U.S., if you had all the money that's spent on sports, all the tickets, all the money that was spent on music last year, all the money that's spent on movies last year, add them all together, you still do not have as much money as being spent on a lottery in the United States today. 80 plus billion dollars spent on lottery tickets. Oh my God. Yeah. Pretty crazy, huh? I had no well, idea. <laughs> you know, it was a, it, it's a fun business. People play, people like to gamble. And so the state sets these up so that, you know, they're run fair and honest. And about mm, two years into it, I got handed the craziest story that uh, kind of bring it all together that ultimately became a book. And, and I can quietly say has been optioned for either a documentary on one of the major networks or a, or a movie when it's all said and done. And it was a deal where a, a guy walks into a convenience store and buys a hot lotto ticket. Now hot lotto is like Powerball or Mega Millions. It was played by about 17 states where states pool their money to get bigger jackpots. And why shouldn't he? Heck, he had done this two or three times before and won big jackpots. So he buys the ticket, takes it to Texas with him, 
to vacation, gives it to his friend who gives it to his lawyer. The lawyer gives it to a person in New York. They find out they win $16.5 million, and they probably already knew. Ultimately went to a guy in, um, in Canada to say, try to get this cashed. Well, we knew something was screwy when they tried to cash it in Iowa. He was unlucky that day when he bought the ticket. What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Ken, a.k.a. Mr. Gentleman. I'm Mr. Gentleman, like the podcast. You are now listening to the Screaming Chew Show. Chew! First off, because he bought it in Iowa, and in Iowa, we have a law that you can't be anonymous when you claim a lottery ticket, which means that they knew when we turned it, when they turned it in, we would ask who bought it. Second is, he bought this lottery ticket in a convenience store that recorded both his video and his audio. Now, he had a big black hoodie and was covered up, and he didn't realize his audio was being recorded, and in fact, when he bought the ticket in Iowa, there were 2,400 places to buy lottery tickets. Only four recorded audio plus video. Now today, I think oh. they all do, and they've got about 27 cameras. I mean, you pretty much sneeze and they have a close-up of your nose. But he bought the ticket and left. And so um, we got a call 11 months later. You have 12 months uh, to claim a ticket. 11 months later, of course, we had a lot of fake ones. People calling, yeah, I think the clerk stole my ticket or or my husband is in the mafia and I'm sure he got it because he left me and he's driving a truck and if somebody claims it, you check, make sure it's not organized crime. But we got this call from a lawyer in Canada who said, hey, I've got the ticket and I've got these numbers. Now, a lottery ticket, you may not realize there's almost 30 pieces of security just in that little piece of paper. You know, serial numbers where it's bought, all sorts of, of crazy things to protect you as players. Wow, so we knew this guy was legit. That's what was crazy. But he said, yeah, I bought the ticket. And we asked him what he was wearing. And he said, well, I, uh, you know, our, our Mary Newbauer, our public relations person, why are you wearing along with our security guy sitting beside her? And he said, oh, I, I was wearing my blazer and I'm about 70 years old. And, and we had the video. And she said, well, it didn't look like the guy in the video. He just kept going, yeah, I bought it, I bought it, I bought it. Well, we knew it wasn't him because this guy looked completely different from the description this general, this lawyer was giving. So... After he hung up and we told him, well, you're not, you know, you can't just send it in. We're not just going to send you $16.5 million. He calls back a couple of days later and said, hey, I told a little fib. It wasn't me. It was my client. They don't want the publicity. Well, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, right, buddy. Yeah, how stupid do you think we are? <laughs> so uh, he doesn't show up. He doesn't come down. But all of a sudden, two days before the ticket was to expire, we get a call from two lawyers in Des Moines who said, we're representing a lawyer in New York. And in they come with the trust. And an hour and a half before the ticket was to expire, they show up at the front door and want their money before they leave. Well, ding, ding, ding. We knew something was really screwy, so we said we're not going to pay it. So, of course, lawsuit concerns, all that sort of thing. We started negotiating with this lawyer in New York. He said he had a client that was rich, didn't want the publicity, same stuff. Then finally says, you know what? I'm just going to forfeit this because we're not going to with this hassle. He just forfeits the 16.5 million bucks. Well, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, right, buddy. Huh? So uh, we forgot about it. Uh, we had a press conference, and over my shoulder, I get handed a press release as I'm doing the press conference saying this guy withdrew it from the Department of Criminal Investigation and the Attorney General saying we're starting an investigation. This seems like fraud. Wow. So for two years, they investigated it, couldn't get much out of it, till finally they got an agreement from both the guy in Canada and the guy in New York, and we knew they were connected because the trust, the president of the trust, of this trust the guy in New York was trying to give us, was the guy in Canada. So we knew they were connected, but we couldn't, we couldn't get back to the person who bought the ticket. So they both agreed uh, to have a conversation with our Department of Criminal Investigation. Now, they ask a question that I hope you and I, Chewie, never get asked. They say, would you like to be the defendant or the witness? And you know what? Both of them said, I want to be the witness. So they gave up a guy, a lawyer in Houston, Texas. They said had a client named Robert Rhodes as the person who they got the ticket from. 
but we couldn't we couldn't find Robert Rhodes and and his lawyer wouldn't talk to us either. So it got down toward the end and we got a new person as a prosecutor and he said, hey, let's release the video that we have and see if anybody recognizes this dude. Well, lo and behold, they didn't rec nobody recognized the picture, but they recognized his voice and they said that's Eddie Tipton. We all about fell over. Eddie Tipton was the national security head for the multi-state lottery and he programmed the computer that drew the numbers. And he worked for the organization that also draws Powerball. Holy smokes, that raised a few red flags. That sounds unbelievable. So um, we they started checking, they did some investigation. Ultimately, Eddie and his friend Robert Rhodes, a guy in Houston, we, and how we figured that out, let me tell you, if you, you, ever, you get in any trouble with the cops, Chewy, you don't have to answer that. Never mind. <laughs> uh, if, I plead the fifth. <laughs> if you ever get in, in trouble or you ever do anything illegal, never ever go to Facebook, LinkedIn, or use your cell phone. Because as soon as Eddie Tipton's name came up, we already knew the name Robert Rhodes, but we didn't know if Robert bought it or what. We just looked on the internet and they had their internet wide open for public to see. And we saw they worked together for six years prior to from Eddie's working at the multi-state lottery. Oh. And we immediately connected them, put it together, and they both got charged with fraud. Holy but that just God. sounds like a small Iowa deal. Wasn't that big a deal at that point? Most of the other states were saying, you know, why didn't you just pay that? You know, that's not that big a deal. Forget about it. Until we got to the trial. And during the trial for Eddie, Eddie, I think his lawyer said, we need a credible so, you know, give you a little credibility for, for your personality. So he said, bring my brother up. My brother is a justice of the peace in Texas and, and a law enforcement guy, and he'll testify. So he came up, sat down. They played the video in court, and he said, nope, that ain't my brother. That guy bought two hot dogs. My brother ain't a hot dog guy. <laughs> what? Yeah, he said, he ain't, a, he ain't a hot dog guy. That can't be him. And immediately – um Everybody kind of turned and looked at it because hey, he looked like a hot dog guy, first off. And the, and the second is uh, Associated Press thought it was such a crazy quote. That they were covering the trial. They wrote it up and put it on the National Wires. Remember how the National Wires helped me with Johnny Carson? They also, the National Wires helped on this deal. He got back to his brother's hometown of Flutonio, Texas. And they were dumb enough to bring his brother up to testify, not knowing that his brother was involved in the whole scheme with, his, with Robert Rhodes and him. And his brother uh, in Texas uh, had been investigated for money laundering by an FBI agent who recognized all of this when it was in the paper from 10 years ago, called us and said, you should investigate his brother too. Damn. So he checked out his brother, Tommy Tipton. What did they look for? Cell phone, social media, all of his contact names. And we cross-referenced those to all the winners of $600 and above of the winners in the United States of lotteries and immediately found four or five jackpots just like that. All of a sudden we now have a national case and how big was, was this deal when it was all said and done? Holy shit. So we went through all of this, uh, all of this investigation and looked it all over and had, you know, came, came up with it. And uh, it went back to the three, for three dudes. Now that we found it, we, we hadn't found how he actually did it, the smoking gun. We knew that he had to mess with the computer, but, we, we were analyzing it wrong. So he kept denying. I didn't know. I didn't do that. I, and he didn't. He, he actually uh, put the code in right away. And how did we find it? Well, Wisconsin was one of the states, and they had a CIA, ex-CIA, and FBI guy looking at a computer that Eddie hadn't touched after the draws. When they pull out an old one, he had erased the computer that we had for the Iowa game. It had been four years. So he convinced his boss, hey, you know, we need a new one. So he erased it. So he, the evidence wasn't there. But this computer... Uh, looked like it was there and we had a map that showed the dates and times that he bought tickets and the dates correlated to November 23rd, uh, December 29th and a date in May because that's when he went on vacation so we could say I'm not near the computer it wasn't me the bottom. Long story short we gave those dates to the folks in, in uh, Wisconsin and they immediately found the code. So now we have the smoking gun. So what do you say to the three people who were involved? Going to be the defendant? Or do you want to be the witness? And, and Robert Rhodes, the friend, the brother didn't give it up, but the friend did give it up, gave us more information. We went back to Eddie and his brother. They ultimately confessed, and, and uh, the brother got two months in jail uh, as a deal. Eddie got more. Robert Rhodes got probation, but Eddie got 25 years, and he's, 
as I understand it, still in Clorinda, Iowa, in a prison. So that we, we busted it, and and I'm glad we did because there's no doubt he'd still be doing it today. And our goal from as public officials, and you know, you, you try to be honest uh, and as fair and worthy as you can be, but was to make sure that the games were fair and honest, and ultimately we got there. So that's what the book and and ultimately either a movie or documentary might be is that we optioned out. Yeah, that's fucking crazy, man. That guy was smart, but not that smart. <laughs> yeah, and and really, 25 years is a lot. When you look at the Tiger King documentary or, or even the McMillions documentary, uh, they didn't get as many years as Eddie did. And I, I you know, I've talked, tried to talk to a couple of folks that if he comes up for probation, I'm fine with him with him getting out. But it, uh, I think he's learned his lesson. But it's a uh, so like anything else, if you have a small school district or a small church organization, if somebody writes the purchase orders and also the checks, you know, they have all the keys to the kingdom, which is what Eddie had in this lottery organization. Uh, you're fraught for fraud. It's just too much temptation when you're talking about the kind of monies we are talking about. Damn. And um, talking about Tiger King, when, when you mentioned about having your own zoo, like that's probably what I would do. I'd probably like fucking just, mess around with the tigers and pet them all the time. <laughs> well, there's an organization called the American Zoological Association, and, and this, the statistic that they used in Tiger King was true. There are more tigers in private homes today than there are in zoos or in the wild, oh my which is God. crazy. There are people just breeding and selling, as you, as you saw in that. But uh, part, of the, part of the theory of having a zoo is that you, you have somebody's called the stud king, I, I might be able to call you the stud king, too. Yeah? I, don't know, I don't know you that well. But the stud king, there's a person that's in charge of these of each breed of tigers and every animal that's in a zoo. So they decide when animals get to breed. So if we had a male Siberian tiger and he was prime, they might send us a female to breed and have babies so that you keep the genetics as far apart as possible. So you don't have to go out into the wild and bring in a brand new specimen to get the genetics so you don't have weird, you know, moms and daughters together or, or dads and daughters together and breeding your sisters and brothers and all that sort of stuff. So it's pretty complicated and, you know, there, everything there is to try to save. So a lot of species are alive just because of zoos. So we, you ne part of the deal is if you're a member of the AZA, you don't go in and play with the real uh, endangered species, but there are all these education animals that you take out to schools. But the best part was just being able to walk out in it and look around no one ever shoplifted in a zoo. It's like Disney. They don't shoplift because you're there to have fun. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's the most positive, fun, fun experience that I had in my life and a whole different give back than the lottery or cable or all the other things you and I've just talked about. I always wanted to have my own zoo. I, I always loved animals and uh, wow, I had no idea there's a stud king. So he's responsible for breeding every single species there. That's correct. Uh, he or she, uh, is is responsible and what they look for uh, let's say that they have a new baby a new baby giraffe then they look for zoos that have the space and uh, and ability to display them and you know that, that the actual exhibit is big enough they have standards that you have to have so each they get to set all the standards what they do and then they decide where they're going to send those to continue uh, to have that exhibit or that population going. So that's kind of a, a fun job in itself. It's very scientific in its own way. And zookeepers make no money. I'm always amazed. I think we were starting them at $20,000, $24,000 a year. Oh, wow. And, uh, and we would get thousand, probably 1,500, 2,000 applications anytime we had a zookeeper uh, position open. You know, people who work at zoos are really dedicated to those animals and the preservation of those animals, which is pretty crazy. My job was more of a business side. So, you know, when I said I want to do zoo brew, they'd say, well, wait a minute, does that help with the animals? And I said, well, if we make more money and I can give you more money to give, you know, to do, to help animals in their experience or to get a bigger exhibit or get new animals, would that be all right? And so, yeah, they kind of saw the cost benefit. I love that zoo brew idea, man. You have such amazing ideas. <laughs> well, as I said, the key is we all have a million dollar idea. And I, I always figure it takes a hundred ideas to get one good one. And, in an organization, uh, kind of my trademark that I tell tell folks is, I learned this way down the road in my career, is that um, sometimes as a boss, you say old oh, poop and everybody heads for the bathroom. You know, if people want to please their boss. If you say something, you think they're, you give, they think you're giving a directive where you're not. You're just trying to give an idea. 
So uh, the management staff would get stressed if I'd come in and say, hey, let's paint the wall green or have you thought about putting an animal on the ticket or, or whatever. Um, until we got together and they said, you're stressing us out. You're giving us too many ideas. And they said, well, <laughs> they're just ideas. I didn't expect you to do them. And so what we did was as we spoke face to face or as we did emails, especially, we'd use one of three things. Number one, um, action required. That means I'm the boss. You got to do it. Okay. That, this is a job changing. I'm telling you, you got to do it. But that was maybe half a percent, 1% of all the emails. The second is FYI for your information. And we use that a lot, you know, FYI, which means you better read it sometime, but you, you don't have to right now. And then the one I use the most was COT, consider or throw away. And so uh, that's one that we used a lot because then you could tell somebody, hey, you don't even have to read it. The rules to, if you use COT is, if you're busy, you just hit delete. I don't care if you don't read it. I just need to get it off my chest. Or if you, uh, if you want to read it down the road, just save it for later. And then they started sending it back to me. And so everybody could exchange ideas and you had no judgment. Because usually if I'm going to tell you, hey, what do you think about this, Chewie? I'm going to look at your eyes and your head expression on, on whether you agree or disagree right away. And that, that, that really thwarts ideas. Because if you're disagreeing, I probably might not give you another idea right away. But if we're all saying, okay, you know, this is just an idea. We'll file it away and we'll think about it. Uh, it really became a free flow of information, much, much bigger in those organizations. And so even Zubru came in from one of our uh, employees um, who, who was the frontline employee who just said, hey, you know, we need to get more millennials here. And, and so I just took the ball and we ran with it and away we went. Smart man. You built a good little system too for all the ideas. Well, you know, and as we said, I'm sitting in Iowa, you know, you think that all good ideas must come from uh, California or New York or, or somewhere else, but uh, no matter where you're at, especially with the technology we have, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to come up with great ideas. Damn, man, from television, zoos. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little too ideal right now. You look at me, I mean, I'm as vanilla as it comes, Chewy. I mean, I'm, I'm white, I'm old, I'm bald, I'm Protestant, uh, you know, you name it. I'm, I'm, I'm as, uh, as, as vanilla as has my kid. I've got grandkids, kids, everybody's doing great. Everybody's working hard. And you, you want, I feel thankful, but that excites me the most is just uh, talking and, and looking and doing things with, with new ideas and people that I've never met before. Like you, I mean, this is, this is what life's all about. Yep. Very driven and just keep going, you know, just, let those ideas flow and just go with them, you know, see where it takes you. That's right. And helping others in, in coming up with successful ideas is, is, uh, absolutely very rewarding. And, uh, and you're a good guy, you know, that's why you're not in jail like Tiger King. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope not. As I said, we all screw up in life, you know, me flipping the bird right out of the chute, maybe it was a good thing because I learned a good <laughs> yeah. lesson. If you do screw up, just take the lumps and get the hell moving on. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you're a very great example of, you know, if you fail, just keep going and going to get That's there. That's right. Well, we're, we're all going to, I mean, everybody, you know, looks like things are perfect. I haven't met, I, I have dealt with a lot of CEOs in my lifetime. I've been a CEO for 25, 30 years. I've never met anybody that when they walk into their building has, hasn't thought at some point or another, holy crap, I'm in charge of this place, you know, I, you know or to the lottery, $350 million, or, you know, at the zoo, you had, uh, what do we have, 35, 40 employees, you're, you're in charge of their lives. And that's really scary. But you just, when you walk in, if you're confident, and you, and you look for, you know, things that work and prioritize ideas, so you look for things that work and that your employees will be behind, uh, you build a pretty good team pretty fast. But you know, every, I guarantee you when you hear people's stories, uh, even the most successful, whether it's Bill Gates or, or uh, you know, our, all the different Facebook leaders we have, all that, they're having troubles with their kids. Kids are getting busted for this and that or whatever. Everybody's got going to have a bad day now and then. So we just got to appreciate it while we can. Days like today, meet a new friend, Chewie. I like it, man. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I met you, man. Uh, I've just learned a lot just this these few minutes, man. <laughs> that's good. That's that's the idea. Oh. And uh, if anybody, the, the $80 billion gamble, if people want to kind of get ahead of that and see it, they can pick that up on Amazon or Kindle. Uh, it's called the $80 billion gamble. That's the, that's the uh, 
one that has the uh, the uh, Eddie Tipton story, the lottery story. That almost sounds like that movie, Catch Me If You Can. It's very close. Yeah, it's exactly exactly what it is. Wow. And so how long was the investigation? How, about how many years? Well, he bought the ticket in 2010 and he went to jail in 2017. I, I, it just drew, drove me nuts because I'm one for action. Let's get it going. What's going on? I want to know what's going on. But once it gets into the judicial system, you realize that you just got to let it work through because you don't want to screw the thing up and let him get off scot-free for something that really did affect a lot of monies for a lot of good causes across the United States. So it, uh, you know, it, it was, it seems like forever and people would forget about it. And, and in some ways they have, but it took a long time, Chewy. Man, I really hope that becomes a movie. That's, that's fucking crazy. Well, I think if you see something, you'll see it in the next year. It'll be probably next summer where uh, they're talking about production later this year. Man, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. And um, I say make a movie about your life as well, man. I mean, you've, you've done a lot with your life. You've done, like, more than most people will do with their lives, you know, basically. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm blessed. And, you know, part of that came from, you know, as parents, you, my dad was always encouraging. I, I never really realized. I always thought the guy was hard of hearing because I'd call back when I had a success of some sort in high school, college, wherever. And I'd say, hey, dad, I had a great day today. Here's what happened. He'd say, what was that again? He'd always, he'd always want to hear it twice because it was encouraged, you know, that was kind of his way of encouraging. <laughs> but you know, it's truly, you know, I bet I get, I, we all have bad days, but it, uh, it you just got to enjoy your while you can. That's what I'm trying. I'm biking now. I picked that up about three years ago and I got a thousand miles in already this year. So oh my I got a God. Kind of passion, but like you probably, I, I like being around people and, and I kind of miss that since I retired. So I'm doing the public speaking circuit. I've been to Germany and, all over the United States and lots of do telling the Eddie Tipton story. And that's, that's really my passion now because then you're in with a lot of people and you go to a place and you can see the place for a day or I go in the day or two before and look it all over and then do the speech and go home. And I've had a great vacation and, uh, and a good business deal. Living the life. Yeah, I guess so, Chewy. <laughs> and so as a successful businessman, CEO, and um, do you have any advice for people out there? Well, I think the big one is just don't give up. Uh, if you're applying for a job or whatever, a lot of people say, you know, I want the this job. I want to do this. And so they apply for that job, but that's all they apply for. Um, I tell everybody, apply for as many things as you can. Get in on as many things as you can. Now, the other is when you're in a job or you're in an organization or you're trying, you know, school anywhere else, someone says, uh, anybody want to volunteer to uh, clean the bathroom? I'm the first one to raise a hand because they get noticed when you, when you do what other people don't want to do. And uh, that's helped me a lot in, in a lot of careers. So I would say uh, if you're looking for a job, apply to as many places as possible. And some of them, even, even if it's remotely worth trying, you do it because you want to get as many interviews and get polished up on your answers and that sort of thing. And when you go in, always use the word success in the interview. I want to, how can I help this company be more successful? How can I help you as a per rather than, Hey, how many days of vacation do I get? What's my healthcare like? And, <laughs> and uh, I, I need more money. You know, I, I need a lot of money. Uh, you let that, because you can always say if you're, if you're thinking about you, which you should be, everybody should be in their own way. Cause you got to be happy in what you're doing is you can say no at the end when they offer you the job, if you don't like it, but making those kinds of demands and doing those sort of things up front, never get you a job. I love it. That's great advice. Um, you know, that shows teamwork, you know, how can, how can I help, you know, have this company succeed? You know, that, that shows teamwork right there. Absolutely. Use the word success anywhere you can and always send a written thank you afterwards. That sounds pretty crazy. Everybody uses email today. Very rarely as, as an exec did I get an actual handwritten note and you can write it up when you go in for the interview and just leave it there. So you don't have to pay the postage. Uh, but uh, send a personal thank you afterwards and, and uh, when you go in, just think about how much fun it is to go meet somebody else. And I, the other question I think is good in interviews or when you're talking to people and looking for, for jobs is, how can, uh, tell me why this is such a fun job for you for the, when the interview is talking. You know, tell me about the company and why this is fun for you to work here. You'll hear a lot. You'll hear the honest stuff when you, when you ask questions like that. 
I like it. Wow. You're a very smart man. And um, wow. I, have, I have a BS in speech. Honest to God, that's my degree <laughs> in college is a bachelor of science in speech. And so, uh, you know, I think it's part again, growing up on a, in a farm community where you talk to everybody all the time. And it's, you know, you just want to be, you want to get along and let's, let's make it work. Awesome, man. And, um, yeah, I really hope that comes through, man, that movie, totally looking forward to it in your book as well. Um, so it's available on Kindle and Amazon. Yep. There are two books. One is uh, dare to dream, dare to act, which is more on innovation and creativity. And then the one on uh, the lottery is called the $80 billion gamble. But if you just hit Amazon and put Terry rich author, you'll see the two, the two. I think if you, if you do Kindle or you're part of the Kindle deal, you can listen to it for free. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Awesome. I do have Kindle. I'm definitely going to check it out. Check it out. It was fun talking to you, Chewy. Yeah. I, fun you haven't screamed once at me. What's the deal with your, with your mantra screaming Chewy? Um, I don't know, actually. Um, sometimes I get really excited and I just like talk loud. So I'm, yep. Yep. that's why. <laughs> well, keep in touch. It's always a pleasure, man. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it, it's been a pleasure having you on. And um, man, I feel so motivated right now. I mean, well, let's go. Let's go get some good stuff done. That's that's the bottom line for sure. If if nothing else, let's do what we enjoy. I love that's it. Part of biking. And uh, when it's all sudden, when it's all sudden done, uh, shoot me an email uh, for the link, and I'll help uh, put it out on my YouTube. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Pleasure. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye. Yeah. Take it easy. Thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can find me at anchor.fm slash screamingchewygmail.com. There'll be three options for a monthly subscription. First one, I believe, starts at a dollar a month, yo. Yeah, dollar a month. Yeah, and if you don't want to, that's cool. You can follow me on Facebook and YouTube, Screaming Chewy Show, for some memes, some more videos for episodes. And behind the scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy, so I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.